Hey, Gretna family, it's Pastor Rob. As I was preparing for the sermon this week, I ran across a story of a group of, of Navy SEALs that were asked to go into a third world country and free a group of hostages. And my understanding is the story is true, but the details were left murky for, I guess, security reasons. But they were asked to go in and they did. They, they entered this country and they um, took care of the guards of whoever was holding this group of hostages. I don't know if it was a, a prison or just a building in the middle of nowhere. You know, let your imagination take it wherever you want. But they, they broke into this, this building. And when they finally entered the area where the hostages were, they blew open the door and they started screaming at the top of, of their lungs, we're Americans, we're here to save you, we're here to free you and take you home. That's our job. Now, I would like to think if I was in that position, that I would be the first to jump up and go, yep, I'm ready to go. Come on now, right? I wanna go home. But something interesting happened in this group of hostages. None of them moved. They didn't say a word. They didn't make a motion. They didn't even make eye contact with those who were there to free them. You know, maybe, maybe they were there so long that they had lost hope, right? I mean, if you try to keep putting your hope in things for long enough, eventually you lose a willingness to risk putting your hope because there's a cost there, right? If your hopes are dashed, it hurts, it hurts a lot. It could be that they were conditioned by their captors. You know, sometimes captors have been known to do things to condition their hostages so that they wouldn't even try to escape. Maybe they created some false scenario that somebody was there to rescue them and they beat anyone who was who reacted, who did jump up. And so they're conditioned not to chase freedom, not to try to take that opportunity even if it shows up. And you know, I always, when I tell a story, it always has a tie-in to where we're headed today. And this tie-in is this, is sometimes I think we do that same thing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus did what he needed to do as only he could do, right? He's specially trained, even more so than seals. But he did what he needed to do to break into this prison that we call sin or this prison that we call a broken life or a prison that we call just not what we hoped it would be and certainly anything but heaven that he did all the work to get there and he is offering us freedom and saying yes i can set the captives free i can help you return to home and i can i can help you be free right to experience the freedom that only comes through me and through a relationship with god and sometimes i think though, that we are liked those shell-shocked prisoners, that, that maybe we think it's too good to be true. Or maybe we've been conditioned that it'll cost too much. As we're finishing up the fourth week of our series, The Main Thing, We've talked about things that are obstacles that get in our way in our relationship with Jesus that keep him from being the center point of our daily lives. We talked about worry and how worry can basically overwhelm you to the point where you really can't see Christ working or where Christ is leading. And we talked about 
control being an obstacle, in particular fighting for control over our lives, because there can only be one king, and it's either me or Jesus. And then last week we talked about self-deception, pretending, essentially, that we're close to God when we're not, or we're following him when, in fact, our lives and our actions don't indicate that. But all, all of those things were, were things that can get in our way, that can keep us from seeing God. But sometimes, and, and as is the case this week, I think sometimes one of the things, or the thing we need to tackle is that sometimes we can see God and see the freedom that he offers and see the opportunity that's right in front of us and choose not to reach out to him because of the cost. And so Jesus this week takes that on. You know, he again, he paid a price for us. He paid a cost for our freedom. But he can only do so much we have a responsibility to be willing to take on some of the cost to ourselves as well because make no mistake following jesus will cost us something so this week we're going to look at three things that jesus that following jesus can cost us that we often just we honestly say i don't know if really finding that freedom is worth it and my hope is that as we go through this we'll recognize that it is worth it and that though it might cost us something it cost us nothing compared to what he paid so to do that we're going to look in luke chapter 9 verses 57 through 62 Uh, i'm going to read out of the christian standard bible so grab one or it'll be on the screen in just a second it says this as they were traveling on the road someone said to him i will follow you wherever you go Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back and who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So as Jesus and his disciples are beginning this piece of scripture, they're just starting their journey to Jerusalem, a journey that will result in Jesus paying the price for our freedom with his own life. As we read in verses 57 and 58, we see Jesus having the first of three encounters that we're going to cover in the course of this scripture. The first is with this man that seems to randomly come out of nowhere and say, I'll follow you on your journey to Jerusalem. I'll I'll go where you want me to go. And Jesus almost turns around and looks at him and says, are you sure about that? I remember when I was a kid, I always wanted to be able to grow up faster right? Because if you grow up faster, you have more independence, you got more money in your pocket, you're able to go do what you want to do, right? You've got a car, you've got all these things, right? And you have this vision that when you grow up, you get to do all this stuff and, 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 and until you do. And then you realize, yeah, I can do some of that stuff, but I've also got these things called bills and these thing, this thing called a job and these responsibilities that I have to have 
And and when I hear teenagers repeat that today, I almost think to myself, and I've said it to them out loud, are you sure? Are you sure you really want that? Are you sure you want to be in a hurry to get there? And it's almost like Jesus is saying to this guy, are you sure? Are you sure you want to be in a hurry to get there? In fact, in the, in the verses just before this, in verse 53, Jesus and, him and his disciples are looking for a place to sleep, a place to rest along their journey, and they can't find one. They think they have one. And then in, in verse 53, it says they did not welcome him. They would not allow him to stay there. And the only reason we get is this, because he was on the journey to Jerusalem, or he was determined to journey to Jerusalem. Because Jesus was determined to fulfill the, 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 journey, the mission that God had for him, they wouldn't let him sleep there. They wouldn't let him find comfort and rest. And so as we roll into this story, it's pretty clear that what Jesus is trying to say is, are you sure? Because did you just see what happened? Did you just see that I, the king, right? I, the savior, don't get comfort and rest all the time. You realize you're not going to get it either. In fact, that's our first point is that finding freedom in Christ, following that freedom in Christ will cost us that comfortable life. It will cost us that level of stability and consistency and predictability that we really crave and really want. Alexander Mack was one of the founders of our little brethren tribe. And when he chose, he and his cohorts chose to follow Christ in a way that was different than what others were, were doing at the time. The church and the state were mixed and there were laws about which church you could be a part of and what the rules were and how you had to do things. And if you departed from those, it would cost you and could cost you a lot. Ultimately, if you made the wrong people mad, it could cost you your life. But Mac wrote about some of the things that you should remember it will cost you if you choose to follow God. In fact, he called the poem, Count Well the Cost. And just the first couple of verses, he says, Christ Jesus says, count well the cost when you lay the foundation, right? When you choose to place your found, build your foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. He says, are you resolved, though all seem lost, to risk your reputation, yourself, and your wealth for Christ the Lord as you now give your solemn word. Are you ready to risk what others think of you? Because when others don't think well of you, that gets pretty uncomfortable pretty fast. And in a lot of ways, it can inhibit your life. Mac was a well, Mac's example, he was a wealthy man. He owned a mill that was given to him by his father. He made really, really good money. And the truth is his choice to follow the journey that God wanted him on could have very easily and ultimately did cost him that mill. It cost him his standing in the community. It, cost, it could have easily cost him his home. And as I said before, cost, cost him his life. But he chose, he said, look, I need to do this. And he asks those who came after him, which includes us, the same thing. Are you resolved, though all seem lost? Are you resolved to do what you need to do, even if it costs you some quality of life, some, a comfortable life? Those are the things we pine after. When Heather and I were working in Minnesota, we had a, a very young boy with 
um, broken English because it was his second language. His name was Lang. And Lang, we were telling him our story of how we chose to, um, we felt like God led us to quit my job and Heather closed her business and we sold our house and we moved to do where, to go where he wanted us to go. Which by the way, we didn't know where we were going to stay until a couple of weeks before we got there. <laughs> and that was the most nerve wracking part of the whole deal is we didn't know where, what God was going to do with this. And there was a lot of uncomfortableness involved. But we, but he, we were telling him the story of what's going on. And, and Lang says, why you give up rich? Why give up the pursuit of all of the, the things that, that I see everybody else around me trying to chase? And the answer is simply this, is because the pursuit of God, the freedom he offers us, freedom from sin, freedom from death, is worth every bit of the uncomfortable pieces that have been added to our lives. Because I will tell you, we have moved a number of times. It is uncomfortable every time because we have to make new friends and find a new bank and, and start new jobs and do everything all new over again. And that stability, that consistency, that those things that we like, they're gone. And the tr- But the truth is, in doing so, I've learned so much about my weakness. <laughs> and my lack of willingness to depend on God and been forced to do it anyways. And what I will tell you is that he has carried us out the other side, sometimes kicking and screaming. (laughs) He has carried us out the other side and given us an opportunity to see him work in ways that there's no way we would have ever been able to see had we not just been willing to say, yep, we're going to have to give up our comfortable, consistent life and our jobs. And by the way, I don't care what Lang says about why you give up rich. We were never rich. But <laughs> why we would give up that, it's because the freedom that Christ offers is worth so much more. I think in, in our day and age right now, it's, it's difficult to share the gospel. It's difficult to tell others you're a Christian. It's it's difficult to wear your faith on your sleeve and when somebody's having trouble to say, can I pray for you? Or, or to offer them advice that's biblical in its nature or invite them to church because we're afraid that it will affect our reputation and thus the comfort of our life. It will affect how others see us. It might affect our job. It might affect all of those things that Mac talked about. But if we're not willing to embrace the freedom that Christ has given us, if we're not willing to be uncomfortable to pursue that and to show others that, then what does that say about the value we place on that freedom from sin and that freedom from death? Do we really value it as much as we think we do? Because the truth is, if we are truly passionate about something, if we believe it matters no matter what, this has to be said, or this has to be done, or this this is needed, do we always just not say anything? Or do we have enough courage to go ahead and say, I'm willing to be uncomfortable, I'm willing to risk this because this needs to be said, or this needs to be done? 
following Christ is much like that, recognizing that he's going to make us uncomfortable. And really, that's okay. The next, in the next couple of verses, we see this other gentleman that Christ actually engages. In verse 59, he says, Then he said to another, that's Christ, said to another, follow me. Lord, said the man, let me first go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. <laughs> it seems a bit harsh, right? I just want to go bury my dad, right? He died yesterday. His funeral's tomorrow. I just want to go bury... No, let, let them handle it. They're dead anyways. Let them handle it. You go. Except that that's probably not the case. It could be that his father passed away yesterday. But more likely, and the terms commonly used in that time, the colloquialisms of that time, I can't say that three times real fast. <laughs> it is likely that what he was doing was saying, look, I'll follow you later after my father passes away, after my work here is done, after my time here is done, after this responsibility is laid to rest, I will follow you. One of my kids who shall remain nameless, whenever you ask them to do something, uh, they almost as this kind of gut level response, just go in a minute, in a minute. I don't know about your house, but in my house, when they say in a minute, you know what that means? That means um, I really don't want to do this and I'm going to put it off as long as humanly possible. That's what in a minute means. And so it's, it's frustrating to me when I hear it. And usually in a minute is greeted with, nope, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly. Because that person, that child is saying, first, I, I'm trying not to say male or female. I'm trying to keep that as opaque as possible, is saying, no, there's this list of things that are more important to, for me to fulfill with my time than to go do what you're asking me to do. And the thing is, I think we do that with Jesus a lot. First, before I go do what you're asking me to do, Jesus, before I go call somebody in the church that I know is sick, or before I go tell somebody else who you are in this world and the freedom you offer, or before I go spend time in study, or before I go spend time in prayer, before I do that, right? I have to finish my work. I have to find more time in my day. I have to, before I go help the poor, I have to make more money before I can go help the poor. Maybe before I go tell others about you, I have to learn more about the Bible. I have to study more. Maybe I have to get my life in order before I can approach you again. I, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. Really, that's all this man is saying to Jesus is, in a minute, I'll do it later. But his response is the opposite of the disciples when he first calls them. In Luke chapter 5, just before this, Jesus is calling his first disciples, Simon and James and John, in Luke's account, and he's calling them, and they're fishing. And when they find out who he is, and he blesses them in an amazing way, and he, they find out who he is, and they say, the, the text says in verse 11 of that section, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is the story. It says in verse 11, it says, they 
brought their boats to land because they were out fishing, they're fishermen. They brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. (laughs) That's the polar opposite of wait a minute (laughs) or in a minute. And and yet sometimes we do that with him. We do that with the Lord. We say, I'll get to it in a minute. And the problem within a minute means it's always going to get bumped to the back of the line. There's always going to be something that we want to do with our time. When the reality is every moment we have on this earth is a blessing. Every second we have is a blessing and not a given. None of it's a given. And every bit of it is allowed by God. And so when we say, this blessing that you've given me, God, I'm going to use it for what I want and I'll get to your stuff in a minute. What does it say about how much, again, how much we value the freedom that Christ paid the price for if we keep telling him, wait a minute? Faith that is alive and active and well has a sense of urgency to it. It understands that we are engaged in many ways in a war for those who are lost and that that God has offered us an amazing gift, this freedom that is found in him. But that part of the price we have to pay in response to that is to be willing to say yes. And this goes back to who's in control of my life and the mini kingdom thing we discussed a few weeks ago and saying, yes, God, what would, what would you have me do? As San, the prophet Samuel said when he was sleeping and God awoke him, he just jumped up out of bed and said, here I am, God. Actually, he said, here I am, Eli, at first. He thought it was his priest. But here I am. What do you want from me? What would you like me to do? Should that not be our response to Jesus when he calls upon our time? The last one is this. Freedom in Christ will cost us our safety net. Will cost us our safety net. In verses 61 and 62, it says, Another said, I will follow you, Lord. This is the third engagement. I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go say goodbye to to those at my house. But Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Not a Fan, rephrases it. He says it differently. He says, When we are to be following Jesus, who is ahead of us, right? but find ourselves looking back, looking behind us, we are revealing that we are substituting something or someone for him. We're uh, essentially keeping a plan B, right? Where when we're choosing to say, oh God, okay, God, I'm following you, but I wanna make sure that all these ducks are still in a row, that everything is where I expect it to be, that, that if this doesn't work out, I got a backup plan, all ready to go. It's, 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 it's exactly that. It's a backup plan. It's a what if. And, and it's honestly one foot in the kingdom and one foot outside. It's choosing to say, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, as long as it's working out. G.K. Chesterton says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been difficult. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's the notion that sometimes when God asks us to commit, in fact, 
when God asks us to commit to him, when we choose that freedom that comes with Christ, he's asking us to be in 100%, not 50-50, not I'm gonna invest here with you, God, but as long, I gotta make sure my backup plan is still ready to go in case you don't come through. Again, what does that say about our freedom in Christ? Is that really freedom? Or are we just hedging our bets, still trying to get what we want? To end our, our time today, I wanna, I wanna finish the story we started with, with the Navy SEALs. The SEALs, uh, as one of the members of the SEALs was in that room, remember they're in this place where they're holding hostages and nobody's responding, right? They're all frozen, maybe with fear, maybe with worry, maybe whatever, we talked about that. They're frozen, they're not moving at all. One of the SEALs chooses to put down his gun and he chooses to take off his helmet and his body armor. Keep in mind you're in a combat situation, not something you would generally recommend. But he takes off his body armor and he goes and he sits down next to one of the prisoners and just sits there with him. He just sits there with him. And he did so so that they would recognize that he was with them. In fact, in many ways, he made himself one of them so that they could trust him. And one by one, those prisoners chose to come with the soldiers to find freedom that they never thought they could ever see again and to come home. It's interesting to me that Jesus became a man so that we would be able to trust him, so he would recognize, we would recognize that he is one of us and with us. And I like that he healed people and he loved them and he cared and cares deeply for them. The truth is he is offering us freedom. The only question is, are we willing to accept the cost? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.